Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sci-Fi Unchained. Thank you all for joining in on the fun and speculation. And if you like the show, please join our social media and support us on Patreon at Sci-Fi Unchained Stories to help the channel grow. And thank you all for your avid listenership. Let's get into it. We're talking about one of my favorite subjects ever, monsters. Now, at first glance, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with killing zombies, mummies, werewolves, vampires, wendigos, an endless necronomicon of horrendous creatures. Because all the scary big bad monsters are out to kill and eat us, right? Though lately, in the last few decades, at the very least, there have been more and more stories about these monsters living in harmony with humans. Gone are the days of Dr. Frankenstein and his monster, the, the Wolfman, Nosferatu, the Thing. Now we have Twilight, Shrek, Hotel Transylvania, the Underworld series. It, well, okay, to be fair to the Underworld series, that one kind of straddles the fence that gray area in the middle, but you, you get it, right? Now, there there are others that have been propagating the integration of deadly monsters in the human populace. This brings up several interesting and important questions, both for the future of how monsters will be written in the genres of science fiction and horror, or even pop culture and the real-world application of how we view real-world analogs of those humans we deem to be monstrous. How far along do we empathize? What is the line we as human beings are willing to draw between willingness to accept possible predacious creatures living among us and when we light the torches and brandish the pitchforks? to drive the darkness away. How will examining these distinctions between the living alongside cohabitable monsters and the truly dangerous ones that help us reflect on how we can identify the real world human monsters that are a very real danger to us on a daily basis. By looking at these creatures, what can we determine about ourselves that we don't like and we want to change? Some clinical psychologists, the likes of Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, for instance, would argue that we ourselves need to become absolute monsters in order to deal with whatever the world throws our way. And after we become these monsters, it is now our responsibility to ourselves and society to learn how to control our monstrous emergence. We, we also get that kind of same line of thinking from uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, um, mostly from, from his, uh, his book, The Prince, right? The, the, the prince has to be ready to deal with whatever fortune throws his way. And whenever fortune is good, he's supposed to capitalize on it and uh, become as secure as possible. And whenever fortune is bad, whenever the, the pendulum swings the other way, 
he's he's not too recluse inside of his his fortress of solitude and security. He's supposed to capitalize on the opportunity of the chaos and and make the best out of a horrible situation so that when the pendulum swings back to prosperity, he can build even more because he just came out of a terrible situation and emerged far better than what that terrible misfortune set out to uh, to dock him down a few picks, let's say. So this kind of thinking is born out of the idea that the possibility that anyone can be or do anything is not meant to be taken lightly in the least, and that people on a daily basis often do give in to the worst of human nature. And we're supposed to create a, a sort of mental, if not physical, buttress against that worst kind of human nature. I mean, how, how many times have you been in, say, a grocery store, you're standing in line, and the line is taking forever, people are being just absolutely ungodly amounts of slow, or they make mistakes, they forget things, they have to leave and go get something, they left their wallet in the car, and you're stuck there for a needlessly long time. How easy is it, and we won't admit this to anyone but ourselves, but how easy is it to imagine yourself just pushing that person out of the way, throwing them, throwing them to the ground, getting your stuff, paying for it, going home. Because you have things to do. <laughs> because you have places to be. You have people to see and talk to. How And how dare this worthless pleb stall up all of your time needlessly, right? At least that's that's the, the darker side of my human nature that pops into my mind uh, whenever there are needlessly long lines, but that's that's just my own example. I'm, I'm bearing the worser side of, of my human nature uh, as an example. Now, lying, stealing, cheating, killing, all indiscriminately are all foundation aspects of what could make for the most terrifying and dangerous kind of people, right? Psychopaths, sociopaths, dictators, mass murderers, con men, grifters, all results of the monster in those people being unrefined and out of control. Though it is thought, if the capability and possibility of developing into those things can be acknowledged, then they can be guarded against and avoided when building oneself into a greater and greater person. How much more revered and how great of a human being would he be thought of if after Genghis Khan created his empire, after it, it covered what uh, a tenth of the world's landmass after he murdered 10% of the population of the world. Um, how, how much greater of a historical figure would he be remembered as if he created this proto-utopia 
in his empire. How how much more of, of a great person would he be remembered as if that monstrous ruler, that brilliant tactician, tamed his monstrous self into the Machiavelli, Machiavellian princely figure of, of noble intention and, uh, and okay, I made it. I'm at the pinnacle. I'm king of the world. Now let's start doing all the good. Now let's start doing all the... We've slogged through the mud. We've killed. We've stolen. We've done all of these terrible things. Now let's make all of that worth it. So that, that to me would be a really good example is if Genghis Khan suddenly became this benevolent dictator, this benevolent ruler. But historically speaking, that's never happened. As, as long as there has been human history, every dictator in history has been this vile and evil person. Uh, right down to a T. I mean, I don't think that there's been any um, beloved uh, dictatorial figure. And if there has been, then I don't know why they are not greatly touted as a, as a uh, workable dictatorial government business model. I don't know. But I would say a good summary of, of this uh, line of thinking is become a monster, control yourself as that monster, and allow the power, aptitude, energy, and drive to develop in becoming that monster to well inside you as you realize your dreams and build a life of success and prosperity. So does the understanding that human beings can be as if not even more monstrous than vampires or krakens uh, in their actions or lifestyles bring us closer to empathizing and cohabitating with these dark and deadly beasts? Or does it galvanize the idea that because we understand what mankind is capable of at its worst, we cannot allow any other manifestation of that inner monstrosity exist as an autonomous being, much less a multitude of autonomous beings of vile wickedness at best, of pure evil at worst. I suppose it may depend on the kind of society one would like to have built. If you're more concerned with having a far more like-minded individuals and uh, that are similar uh, or as similar to you as possible, choose the latter option and kill all the monsters. If you would like to prioritize diversity and endless opportunities afforded everyone based on their individual wants and needs, choose the former and allow the monsters to live alongside you. Now, there are, are uh, both of these choices come with grave consequences to be contended with once chosen. If you decide to slay all the monsters in an effort to make sure that everyone is as close to resembling you 
and your ideas and lifestyles, then there are a few things that must be realized going forward. The metric by what those monsters are, or more importantly, after the fact what they could be, will constantly alter in an effort to sustain the desired hegemony. So what was once not considered monstrous at all, but a thriving aspect of the whole of society, would then be considered the next big bad to be dealt with in the same ex, uh, executory manner, right? With which the previous monsters were dealt. So, for example, if all of the real monsters are dead and gone, and now the individuals who belch and bellow, who, who are obnoxious and loud, um, they are now hyped up to be uh, the next major threat to society. Then they will suffer the same fate as the actual monsters. This perpetuates a never-ending cycle of oppression and violence against what will be a minority of the populace. Now, <clears throat> if you go with the first option, cohabitation, um, if that's chosen instead, then there will always be the risk of bad faith actors and con men afoot, the, the creatures born anew with the goals of subjugation and dominance over others in efforts to serve themselves instead of those governed. I mean, you're you're always going to run the risk of a of a wolf man going feral and tearing limbs off of people in a back alley somewhere, rallying more wolves, strengthening an, an insatiable hunger of not just the wolves gathered, but also incentivizing other malicious parties that see opportunities where once there may have been none. This is much how the Mafia ruled the streets of New York, New Jersey after World War II uh, in great earnest as several prominent crime families rose and staked claims of territories operating different avenues of crime as to not overstep one another or incite conflict. And with these options fairly fleshed out and uh, ideas given enough breath, I say it's safe to say uh, that cohabitation is historically society's best bet, even though it does come with great, with really great risk. Um, though that risk is not as horrifying as the re the reality brought about by the hegemony, created as a consequence of killing constantly the the monsters and subsequently altering the metric by which the monsters are measured. In such a society, it has historically been proven that freedom itself is redefined as do whatever the majority tell you to do. That majority always being the ruling class of individual who hold all the reins of what is always needed uh, for not just survival, but thriving as well. So it's a, it's a more complicated version of mob rule, mob mentality. And it, it has a fairly vast distinction between that and, say, a, a democratically run society. Now, what can we discern from 
how to be able to live with the monsters of myth as well as reality in that you know the 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 universe itself is an uh, ever-flowing order of constructed chaos uh, we are attempting to establish a semi-permanent amount of order in the tiniest sliver of the universe but that universe operates the same without prejudices in in all of its corners it's just going to be as ruthless and unforgiving even in our minuscule abode of a planet what will that mean when we have to deal um, with the, the issues of our society? Uh, natural disasters, plague, resource scarcity, overpopulation, extinction of the indigenous wildlife, all of the subsequent problems that hit a society because of that. What's going to give a society the best chance of survival? against all of these slings and arrows cast by nature. Ideally, it would be best to tackle any issue with as many tools and solutions as possible. And that's going to be afforded uh, society by virtue of diversity of thought and peoples that all come up with varying solutions rather than a single solitary solution born of a society that is strictly monotonous in almost every aspect. It would be as if one were to try and unscrew a bolt with a, with a large hammer. It's simply unwise and it's not going to work out in the long run, much less provide a, a short-term solution. So, in conclusion, it does seem that monster inclusion is the best way to move forward in overall society like like the navi people in avatar who tame and live with the giant hr geiger style panthers and pterodactyl dragons uh, <laughs> i i suppose it's all about figuring out just how to include certain monsters in open society perhaps va vampires could become a a kind of new variant of kidney doctor, where they perform a sort of dialysis by way of draining and returning vast amounts of blood in a short amount of time. Or the serpentine naga could be employed to rid the oceans of massive quantities of garbage and debris, maybe even become shepherds of, of the marine life and help uh, regulate overfishing of whaling. How does the uh, how's the Dave Chappelle bit go? Uh, modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> um, I would also say that a prerequisite to this manner of inclusivity is a deep understanding of who and what exactly is included in the society, as well as what precisely is considered a monster. If you have no idea what a rhino is. And then you see a rhino. You're like, what? What is this? <laughs> what is this crazy thing with giant horns and armor-like skin? It's gonna charge and kill all of us. I mean, you'd probably be right, but <laughs> but uh, if you have no idea what a rhino is and um, how rhinos operate and live and eat and how they're wary of 
of other larger creatures, you're you're gonna brandish the pitchforks and light the torches, right? If delving into this question is kept consistent and made a genuine priority, then soon the fear of expanding what is monstrous will actually result in a receding in what we view as being a monster. I mean, who knows? Maybe Bigfoot could be mayor someday, or Cthulhu gets to be president of the world. <laughs> I mean, the biggest takeaway here is when we judge the real vile monsters of our lives, we cannot paint them simply as the quote-unquote other and use our driving fear and hatred of them to blind us to the idea that given the right circumstances and situations, we are those monsters. And you may be the nicest person, you know, to you and your friends and family, but a complete asshat to someone who you may have slighted somehow or crossed paths with, crossed paths with once and, and did a disservice to, or maybe you inadvertently harmed them in some way. Now, this is a perception and perspective conundrum uh, as old as humanity itself. So it's far from easy to solve and learn from, much less keep in mind as you tackle all of life's issues along the way. But I believe that understanding your enemy makes them less of an enemy and more of an opportunity that can be utilized and made into an asset. If you learn about and understand the murderer who lives next door, then, and really understand him, you may be able to cohabitate. It, it, not live together, but live next door. <laughs> you, you may be able to um, create a, a cohabitable existence that is not just sustainable, but profitable in, in terms of how both of uh, the lives in questions uh, proceed from, from that point. And that's, I, I think that can be said for any of the real world monsters. Maybe. I, I think that line I mentioned earlier, where we draw it uh, between what kind of monsters are acceptable, you know, liars, cheaters, thieves, and, you know, all the monsters that we can learn to live with and learn to cohabitate with is on one side of the line. And then the ones that may be on the other side are maybe the, the far more extremes, right? The, the pedophiles and rapists and uh, mass murderers, the, the psychotic killers, the serial killers, all of those are on the other side of the line. Um, but I, I still think it is a far better idea to try and understand the monsters on the other side of the line so we know how to deal with them. So we know and are prepared 
how to not just handle them as an enemy, but how to be the Machiavellian prince and turn that misfortune pendulum into a far better situation than what we would have had if we had just let the misfortune be and fester and and grow and mutate. Um, because if it does, then when it, it'll take a lot longer for that pendulum to swing back to fortune. And if it does, that fortune is going to be dry and and a, not not as fortuitous, not as uh, profitable. It's it's going to be such a diminished return. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I had for today, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to my ramblings. Uh, but for now, live long and prosper, my friends. May the force be with us all. <laughs>